Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. We're in the middle of a series called Our Imperfect Family. You know, February's kind of like Valentine's month, so we're thinking about relationships. And, and uh, by the way, guys, Valentine's Day is this week. you got three days. So this is your public service announcement. So I just want to make sure I can help you out there. And so we've been kind of looking at not just, you know, marriages and, and dating relationships, but relationships in general. And so last week we kicked off talking about what I call the foo factor. Now, Foo Factor is not a breakaway group from the Foo Fighters. It stands for family of origin. And this is like your parents, your grandparents. Uh, And one of the things we talked about how is that oftentimes family trauma, family dysfunction, and even family sin has a way of going downward, right? And we can sometimes see these patterns in our grandparents, in our parents, and even in us. And sometimes we start to see it in our kids. And the Bible has a word for this, and it's called generational sin. And this is a sin, the Bible says, goes down to third or the fourth generations. And one of the things we talked about, though, is if you become aware of some of these patterns, if you can kind of see them, you can kind of catch them, and you can catch them, and you can bring them to Jesus, and he can actually transform those patterns and becomes something the Bible calls generational blessing. And generational blessing goes both ways. It can go down to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. It can also go up to your parents and your grandparents. And literally, an entire new family system can be uh, created. In fact, Exodus 20, verse 6 tells us this. It says, But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So how many generations? A thousand generations. So if generational sin can only go down for three to four, generational blessing goes for thousands thousands. And that is good news that I want us to embrace. Because here's the thing is, as a church, our heart is to bless and invest in our families, in our communities that are all here and represented here. And, and you know, this could be, you know, we want to help you extend those generational blessings so they can go for a thousand generations in both directions. And that's our heart. And so that's why, you know, for the remainder of the series, we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about marriage, how to have an imperfect marriage. And then, you know, some of you are like, well, wait a minute, Nathan, like, I'm not married, like, I'm not really looking forward to today. Hold on, like, there's something in here for you. But if you hang on until next week, we're going to talk about singleness. And so I know what some of you are thinking too, Nathan, you haven't been single since 2006. Like, what, what do you know about singleness? You've been out of the game. And while that's true, uh, I'm actually going to have a panel of experts, folks that are single and single again. They're going to share a little bit of their story. Now, if you're married, you've got to come back. Here's why. There's some things that our single brothers and sisters need to let you know, okay? There's some things you've got to hear lovingly. And so you want to come back for that. Next week's service is going to be busting. So make sure that you make plans for that. My daughter loves it when I say that word, doesn't she? She's like not looking at me right now. (laughs) But here's the reality. When we talk about marriage, specifically the idea of our imperfect marriage, uh, marriage is tough. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that it can be challenging. And and sometimes when you're not married, you're kind of new, you're you're not exactly sure what to expect until you're in. I remember uh, early on when we were, you know, my wife and I were engaged, someone saying to me, oh, Nathan, marriage, man, (laughs) I got to tell you, it's like a three-ring circus. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, here, here, here's how it goes, man. It starts out with the engagement ring, then you get the wedding ring, and then it's just suffering. That's the three-ring circus. I was like, 
Some of you are like, amen. I'm like, no, no, sh- you don't amen that. <laughs> well, well, listen, in a room like this, or those of you watching online, I think there's really three types of people that are here for a message like this, and that this message is really for. It's for those of you that are not married yet, and you want to be married. So there's going to be stuff in this message that's going to talk about the foundation of marriage that you definitely want to catch and hold on to and kind of develop so that you're prepared for when God, or if God brings that person into your life. It's also for, for those of you that are married. Some of you who are been married for a few months, or maybe you've been married for a couple years, or some of you, like, you are a pretty mature married couple, or maybe you're on the brink of divorce, and you're really struggling in your marriage. There's something in this message that is here for you to give you hope, or maybe if someone asks you if you're married, what you would say is, well, it's, it's complicated. Like, maybe you're freshly off of, of a divorce, or perhaps, like, you know, you're in a marriage, but it's like a mixed marriage. You're trying to figure out, like, how do we make stepkids work, and how do we, you know, how do we navigate some of these kind of dynamics that make it a little bit more complicated and a little more complex? And again, I just want to give you some hope that Jesus is with you in the complexity. Jesus is with you, working all things out for the good in the midst of it all. But whether you've been married for six days, six months, six years, or six decades— There is a question that every married couple has had to have asked at least once, and it's this. Did I marry the wrong person? How many of you guys are like, amen? (laughs) Did I marry the wrong person? Uh, You know, it's funny, like, you know, Jack and I were once talking about this, and and probably like six months into our marriage, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, did I make a horrible mistake? And I remember asking my wife, like, did you ever feel like you married the wrong person? And she goes, oh yeah, I felt that way. (laughs) Oh. Then I asked her, well, how long did it take you for you to realize that? She goes, oh, I knew it six days in. You're crazy. (laughs) I was like, oh, clearly my wife is more aware than I am. But, you know, so often when we go into marriage, we kind of have all the assumptions of the culture with us, don't we? Like, we're we're, we're looking for the person who will complete me. So you guys remember Jerry Maguire, you know, you complete me. You are my best friend, and you fulfill all of my needs, my emotional needs, my relational needs, my physical needs. You are the perfect person. And then we, we marry that person, we say, I do, and we realize that the saying, love is blind, is a real thing. Love is blind, and marriage is the great eye-opener. We, we kind of see it all from there. And at some point, like, I love the words of Dr. Stanley Hauerwas where he says this. He says, the assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. So if you're wondering today if you married the wrong person, I'm here to tell you that, yes, you married the wrong person. So we are like, man, I'm glad I came to church today. I feel so encouraged, so uplifted. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, one of the things that Scripture teaches is that all of us are sinners. We're all imperfect, and imperfect people come together. We have imperfect unions and imperfect kids. So there is brokenness that we are bringing into our marriages. So what do we do with, when we discover that? And, and how do we take a step back and kind of look? And that's kind of what I, what I want to do today, is I want to take a step back and actually look at the foundation of So whether you're single or married or single again, there's going to be something for you in this message to help you in that journey. But but more often than not, like oftentimes I'll meet with couples who are struggling in their marriage, a lot of times what we're dealing with is the symptoms because we don't really have an adequate grasp on the foundation. I remember um, a couple years ago, I was hanging out at a friend of mine's house and I was looking at his wall and it had this big crack on the wall. I was like, well, it's pretty, seems pretty serious. And my, my buddy saw me staring at it and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, I'm going to get a painter. A painter's going to come. He's going to paint all this up, and it, it will be like it wasn't there. And I was like, oh, okay. So I think a week or two later, I was back at his house, and, you know, I'm looking, and he got some fresh paint all over. It looked really great. 
but the crack was still there. In fact, the crack had grown. There was like all, it was like a family of cracks all over his wall that was kind of spreading. I was like, dude, what, what's going on there? He's like, I need to find another painter. That guy clearly could not do the job. So, you know, a couple weeks later, I, I come back, and, uh, you know, I, I still see the cracks. I go, dude, what happened? I thought you were getting another painter. He goes, I did. But this guy said to me, he can't, he can't fix it. I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, he said, the problem isn't the wall. The problem is the foundation. And when the foundation's messed up, it actually messes up everything else. And so I've got a bigger problem than what these symptoms are showing. And I think so often when we look at some of the struggles in our marriages, oftentimes we're trying to treat symptoms when there's something foundational. And if you're dating or you are, you know, engaged, here's something that you need to keep in mind and why the foundation of your marriage is so important, because how you view marriage will shape how you approach relationships. Your perspective on marriage, if you see that as something that you value, if you see that something as an important uh, part of your story, it'll, it'll impact how you view relationships. It'll impact who you date. It'll impact, you know, uh, who you spend your life with. It'll impact why you date. All those kind of things begin when you have that understanding of that foundation. And one of the foundational passages in the Bible that talks about marriage is found in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, the gospel writers, the biographers of Jesus, they all riffed on this passage in different parts of the gospels. And also Paul, who wrote large portions of the New Testament, one of the early church leaders, he did the same thing. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. Otherwise, you can kind of follow along with me. Let's just kind of walk through this together. It says this, starting verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let's pause there for a moment. Do you guys know that there's a difference between being lonely and being alone? Where are my introverts at? You're like, I know what that's like. Some of you are like, I don't want to raise my hand. I'm an introvert. <laughs> you know, when I talk to some of my single friends, one of the reasons why they say they want to get married is like, I want to get married because I feel lonely. But those of us who've been married, don't we sometimes struggle with loneliness? Like real talk, right? There's times where we feel lonely even in our own marriage. Marriage doesn't fix everything. I think it's important for us to be honest about that and, and share that. And so God notices that the man he made, Adam, is lonely. In fact, he, he sees that and he goes, all right, Adam, let's have some tryouts to see if we can find a, a helper suitable for you. And so God brings all the animals and, and Adam names them. He's like, you know, crocodile and he's like shark and he's like, you know, uh, uh, pterodactyl. You know, he's like naming all these things. He goes, dog, you're pretty close, but not quite, not quite, not quite it. And so he sees that, you know, none of these are suitable for him. And, and, and this is kind of interesting, and I'm going to say this, and, and this might sound a little bit heretical, but please hear me out. God created Adam where God wasn't enough. God created Adam where he needed community. Sometimes you'll hear people say, it's just me and God, it's just me and God. If it's just you and God, that's not how you were designed. You're designed to be in community with others. God could have been that suitable helper, but God said, no, 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 Adam, I made you for others. I made you for community. So even if you're single, you are made for community, to be part of a community of faith, just as marriage is meant to be a community in and of itself. And so this is what it says in verse 21. It says, so the Lord God, oh, here it is. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. See, that word rib can also be translated as side. So it could also say that Adam literally had his side taken off. So literally, Adam is half the man he used to be in the midst of this. So verse 22 says this, And the Lord God 
made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. I, I think this is interesting, because if you know the story of Genesis, it said man was made out of what? Who knows? He was made out of dirt, out of dust. And in some translations, it says that the woman was fashioned, okay? Fashioned, right? Fashioned versus, like, made out of dirt. Like, already there's a different kind of version here. In fact, the literal Hebrew word for this word fashioning means built. So if you've ever heard someone say, man, that girl is built, that's biblical, but please don't say that, okay? <laughs> that is inappropriate. You don't want to, I don't even know why. I'm sorry. I, Steve looked at my notes, and he said it was okay, so. Anyway, anyway we're coming back. So, so, so Adam sees this creation, he sees this woman, and he breaks into song. Look what he says here, he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So, so God brings this new being that comes out of Adam's side, and Adam's response is, whoa, man. Whoa, whoa man, whoa, whoa, man, woman, woman, there it is. He's literally just in awe, and he's like, this is it. This is the person that God has created me to be with me, to be my friend, to be my partner, to, to, to help be part of what God's mission was on earth. The mission that God had given humanity was to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion, and now Adam had a partner that could do it along with him. And then we see the first wedding spelled out in the Bible. It says this, For the reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So even though Adam was split, and eventually that splitting was temporary because they would come back together. And that word joined together, it's like the word glued together or welded together. They were, they were there together and it couldn't be taken apart easily. And here's the most beautiful part of their union. Check this out. It says this, And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Some of you are like, oh, naked, I like that part. <laughs> but it, it's not just the physical, it's emotional, spiritual relational, this place of complete transparency and complete intimacy that was happening through this union, innocence. But it was broken when sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, there's hiding and there's shame and there's fear and all sorts of brokenness that's here. In fact, one of the things that came out of this place of brokenness is the idea that maybe marriage, rather than this beautiful thing that God brings together, is actually more of a contract. And, you know, maybe you've heard about this, the idea of marriage being a, a, as a contract. You go to the next slide. But it's this idea of something that's based on mutual distrust. I mean, think about it. Like, if you have a contractor work on your house, what do you do? You, you have them sign a contract, right? Because you want to make sure they're going to do what they're supposed to do, and then you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And, you know, it limits, you know, liability and, it kind of, you know, and responsibility and all these different things. And that means when we enter marriage with this kind of perspective of a contract, this person's got to meet all my needs. They've got to do all the things that I want them to do. And if they don't, if they don't meet my needs, if they don't make me happy, I'm out. I'm dipping out of this union. And I think this could be one of the reasons why the divorce rate is so high, both in the church and in the world. And if you've grown up in a home where there's divorce or your grandparents are divorced, you kind of look back and go, I don't know if I want to be a part of something like that. And I think that's also why you see such a high rate of folks that are living together or in cohabitation. And, you know, it can be something that, you know, can easily kind of take over. And you see this both with Christians and non-Christians. It's kind of ha happening more and more. And, and in some ways, it makes practical sense, doesn't it? Like, think about it. Like, you know, you want to try it before you buy it, right? Let's, let's kind of test drive this thing to see if it actually works well together. 
And, you know, when, when you live together, you can start to kind of do those kind of things. Or maybe you were in a situation before, you know, you were, you were married before. It didn't end, out so, end so well. And so now you're like, well, I'm going to test this out. And if it ever feels like something's going to go off, I'm just going to dip out if it gets too intense or if things start to fall apart. But there's also advantages, right? Like there's things like we can split the bills down the middle. We can share the chores. We can even share the Netflix account. Like everything we can kind of hold, you know, but here's what happens, right? Over time, things can get tangled up. You know, you're living together, you're like, hey, let's get a puppy. Hey, let's have kids. Hey, let's get on the same phone plan. And pretty soon, if something happens and you want to kind of break things off, it gets really, really tangled. And I think what's even more challenging is you're sharing everything, including, you know, the bedroom. And I know that this isn't really popular, but for, for many people, you know, you can have some really valid reasons wanting to live together. But if you look at all the research that's coming out, and this isn't just Christian research, this is sociological research, that actually couples that live together and then get married have the highest rate of divorce out of anyone. In many ways, living together is preparation for divorce. Now, if you sat down with me and go, well, Nathan, i got to share with you my experience and what's going on. Here's why we're in this situation, because, you know, like, you know we're not financially ready, or, you know, he, you know, he or she's not ready to kind of take that next step. And I bet you have some real valid reasons. And, and if you do, like, I, I totally get that. But, but here's the thing. If you're here and you're not a believer, and maybe that's the situation you're in, can I encourage you, based on all the research that's out there, maybe you want to reconsider that as your path towards marriage or intimacy. And if you are a follower of Jesus, um, I want to say this out of love, with as much compassion as I can, God has more for you. God has a bigger calling in your life. And I'm not trying to say this because I'm legalistic or a prude or anything like that, but you know what God's primary calling for your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your, your primary calling? It's to be holy. It's to be pure. It's to walk in that. In fact, I love what Paul, who's one of the early writers in the church, he says this, uh, he says this, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. I mean, this is the standard. But you know who can, you know who can stand up to the standard? None of us. None of us. All of us are broken. All of us have sinned. And it's not about saying, well, you know, they're living together, so they're in sin. Well, when you struggle with pornography, you're also struggling with sin. When you're in an adulterous affair and that you're kind of looking to those things, you're also struggling with sin. What God says is, stay away from all sexual sin. And that's not something you can do in your own power. And that's why we need Jesus. We talked about this last week. We need grace. Grace for ourselves. Grace to forgive ourselves. Grace so that we can love the way God has called us to love and to do some difficult and challenging things. And when we take a step towards uh, holiness, God meets us there. And he gives his grace, and he gives his forgiveness. And I've seen it. It's awesome when that happens. Um, at our last church, my wife and I, we were part of the marriage mentoring team. And so there was a marriage mentor coordinator. What she would do is she'd meet with these couples, and she would match them up with whichever couple she thought would work best. And so uh, this one couple was matched up with us. And she said, hey, heads up, uh, they're living together. So you're going to have to have that conversation. And as you can imagine... I did not want to have that conversation. It's super awkward. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, what do we do? And so, you know, we, we, we were having lunch with them. And within the first five, 10 minutes, 
Here's what happens. Hey, listen, we've just started coming to the church, and we just uh, rededicated our lives to Jesus. Like, we want to, like, follow Jesus with our entire lives, but we just found out that living together is wrong. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, this makes it easy. Um, yeah, but we're not sure what to do, and so, you know, we have this really beautiful discussion of, you know, like, you know, we're kind of in the middle of this, we're kind of new to faith, like, how do we make it? And so this is kind of where we landed. Uh, he was going to actually move out, or uh, actually move to the guest room. So he was going to go to the guest room, and they had decided they were going to be sexually abstinent until when they got married. And they're like, can we do that? And I go, I don't know, can you do that? Like, 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 this is new territory for me. Like, I remember, like, when, you know, Jackie and I, you know, when we were engaged, like, you know, we were virgins when we got married, but man, it was tough, and I had to beat her off all the time. It was like, <laughs> gosh. Some of you who know my wife are like, yeah, right, come on. So, so we said this, listen, we'll hold you accountable. Like, we'll text in every other day to see how you guys are doing, and let's just be honest. Let's just be real. And so what happened was the next day, we actually invited them to join our small group. So we were in a small group or a city group. We had about six other couples. They're all in their you know, early 20s, newly married. And so you know when you first go into a small group, you're kind of feeling it out, like, how honest can I really be in this group? Like, are they weird? Do I need to you know, not come back here ever again? That's kind of where you're at in, in small groups, right? Like, let's, let's be honest. We're, we know it's important, but it's a little awkward at first. So anyway, they come... And literally, within the first five minutes, like, hey, we're kind of new to faith. We've just rededicated our lives. We just found out that living together is wrong. Will you guys help us like, be accountable so that you know, we're, we, we can be you know, pure for marriage? And I was like, man, they're just laying it all out there. And now they had these six other couples. And here's what was crazy. This other couple was like, dude, that was our story too. Like, we were actually living together, and then, you know, we found out, like, we started going to church again, and we found out that, you know, this wasn't God's best, and so he moved upstairs, and I moved downstairs, and our small group at the time held us accountable, and we stayed, you know, you know, we're walking purity up until the wedding day, and like, literally, like, every one of these couples had a story very similar. I was like, man, like, this is awesome. But now, like, this, this one couple had these six other couples that were checking in on them for that journey, and so, you know, they did things like they moved their wedding date up. And I can say, with as much integrity as, that I have, is they stayed sexually pure up until the day they got married. I married them. And, and I share that because, was it perfect? No. Is life perfect? It's not. We live in a broken world, and there's so much brokenness here, but, but when you surrender to Jesus, when you just say, God, I surrender to you, whatever you want, wherever you want, he will make a way. All you need to do is say, God, what's my next step? And he'll show you. And we have the courage to take that step. That's the question. Because more than anything else, uh, you know, and guys, if you're in college or if you're in high school, please, please, I want to encourage you, uh, don't go down that path. Walk in holiness, walk in purity. The world's going to tell you it's harmless, it's not an issue. But again, living together is practice for divorce. And how you view marriage will shape how you approach relationships. If you view marriage as a contract and you want to protect your desires and protect yourself, well, that's the way to go. Or you could approach it from God's perspective. And that's this, is that marriage is a covenant. A covenant is something that's based on mutual trust. If a contract is based on mutual distrust, a covenant is based on mutual trust. And you don't make a covenant. In the Bible, you cut a covenant. What does that mean? Well, covenants were used in marriages. They're also used in business like contracts, things like that. And so when you would do a covenant, you'd actually take a bull and you'd actually kill it. You'd slice it in half. And then you would actually walk around the bull along with the other person and say, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may what happens to me happen to this bull. 
So it was very serious, and it was always involved the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, the covenant was, um, was made by what? Circumcision. In the New Testament, it was Jesus' death on the cross that made the covenant um, viable. So covenants require the shedding of blood. Covenants also have a vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. Vertical means, God, I want to invite you into this situation, into this relationship. I want you to be the one that's the center of it. And then there's a horizontal dimension, just like the cross. There's a vertical and a horizontal. Horizontal, you bring someone else in. So the idea of of a Christian marriage is that Jesus is at the center of it, and the two actually become one with Christ in the center, holding them together. And when that is kind of like the picture of marriage, then we understand another piece of covenant, which is this, is that love is a choice. Love is a choice that we make, not a sentiment that we feel. And here's what about that. Um, I was just thinking about this. So, you know, my family is from India. And so my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, and even my age, a lot of them have had arranged marriages. And, you know, you're like, man, is this like a reality show? No, this is like how the majority of the world works. <laughs> they have this arranged marriage. And if you ever wonder how those things work, well, it's because of this. Love is a choice. They understand, and many of them met their spouse on the wedding day. And they said, all right, I'm going to choose to love this person. And what they find is when I make the decision to love the person, my emotions will follow. Sentiment and romance follows. In fact, this idea of love being a choice that you make every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, depending on what you and your spouse are going through, it's closer to Scripture than what we see here in the West or what we see here in America. So again, if you're dating or you're single right now, you need to understand that you, love is a choice. You can make this choice. But if you understand love and marriage as the idea of covenant, that love is a choice, it's going to impact how you date today. It's going to impact who you date, and again, who you marry. How you view marriage will shape how you approach relationships, because you're thinking about the end in mind. And so what I want to do, and again, the rest of this message, it's for you if you're single, if you're married or single again, I want to build on this foundation that we have of marriage. How do we have some foundational practices to strengthen our marriage? The first is this, is to cultivate spiritual friendship. You see, our culture has this all messed up. Um, If you look at the research that's out, there's usually two things that people are looking for when they are looking for a spouse. And it's this, it's uh, physical looks and earning potential. I know it sounds really crass, but like that's what the research shows. And you know, a lot of times, I mean, when you first meet your spouse, like you're kind of like checking them out, like, oh, all right, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, it's something like that. You're, you're kind of you've got some of that you know sex appeal that you're kind of into, and you're getting to know each other. And then if it works out, then great. If we can be friends, even better. But what if we actually have that in the wrong order? What if we actually should be cultivating cultivating friendships? And actually, friendships are the ones that lead to great romantic relationships. Because remember what the goal is in Genesis 2.25. It says this, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It's this idea of they were completely transparent and they were able to have intimacy with one another. Now, if you're single and you're you're having friends and, and you're getting to know people and you're kind of getting to a deeper level, that's great. But sometimes as married people, we forget that we need to continually build that friendship with the person that we are married to. If we want to make love last, we have to continually cultivate spiritual friendship. And so I want to maybe share some tips. This is actually something I stole from a pastor named Skip Heitzig. It's called LAST, L-A-S-T, four quick things. If you want to continually build relationship with your spouse, laugh together. 
laugh together. Uh, laughter actually builds neurological connections. Like, there's actually a lot of science behind it. Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons why Jackie and I really get along well. We love to laugh together. Usually, we're laughing at me and something that I've said or done or not said or not done. Uh, so laugh together. Second is to absolve each other, which means forgive. Forgive, 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 forgive. Forgive relentlessly. Because listen, we're human beings. We're finite, fallen, broken human beings. You are going to disappoint the person you're married to. You're going to sin against them. You're going to hurt them multiple times a day sometimes. So continue to ask for forgiveness and continue to learn to forgive well. In fact, I think this is one of the things that marriage is meant to teach us is how do we forgive well as God's people? The second is to, or the third is to study. Now, not to study the Bible. That's important. But you need to continually study each other. I remember uh, Tim Keller, who's this pastor, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in the book, he said that my wife Kathy has been married to five different men, all named Tim Keller. Now, either Kathy has a certain type, or what he's saying is this, I've gone through so much change as a person. And here's the thing, the person that you're married to is they are dynamic. They are growing. They are developing. They are changing. And so you, has, as the spouse, have to come to them with curiosity. Like, what's going on in their life? What are they learning? What are they seeing? How are they seeing the world differently? Because we're always growing. We're always changing. And so we need to always be studying one another. And the final one is this, is you need to spend time together. Time spent together. Both quantity time and quality time. You need time together. Now, I know that many of us in a room like this are watching, like, well, Nathan, like, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm, I'm in administration, it's really hard for me to make time. But, but we make time for the things that are most important, don't we? We prioritize it. We need to make time. And if you're even wondering, like, you know, with, with kids, like, how, how do we make some time for that? Well, I want to encourage you. We've got Parents' Night Out that's coming next weekend. Uh, by the way, tomorrow is the last day for you to sign up for Parents' Night Out. We would love to watch your kids so that you can go on a date or take a nap or go shopping, or whatever it is you want to do, but we want to give you some opportunities so that you can go and spend time with your spouse. <clears throat> but look for opportunities to do that. That's how you continue to cultivate spiritual friendship. And like I said, you can be single or single again and still do that. Cultivate spiritual friendship. Second foundational practice that we see in this passage is we have to learn to leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Now, uh, the, the version I read from Scripture, I love kind of what the King, the King James says. How many of you guys grew up on the King James Bible? Come on now. There we go. So, you know, i, I got to read verse 24 from the King James. It says this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave. Say cleave. Cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I feel, like, I feel so tough when I say that. The idea of cleaving, kind of like what I said before, it's this idea of being welded together, glued together, like nothing can really break this union apart. That's the idea of cleaving. And here's something that, you know, sometimes when I'll talk to couples, that sometimes if we don't do this well, this can be problematic down the road. There is a point in every relationship, because when you get married, you are now a new family, and you need to sever the relationship that you had before to solidify this new relationship. Now, please hear me. Sever doesn't mean that you cut off all contact with the person. It doesn't mean that you stop talking to your in-laws or you stop talking to your parents, so please don't use that as an excuse. And if you have kids that are getting married, it means that you give your kids space to be a new family. You don't demand that they still come to Christmas and to Thanksgiving, but you let them have the space to discern what works best for them. One of the things that Jackie and I have been able to do together is we do a lot of premarital counseling. And so one of the things that we look at is we look at every couple's foo. We look at their family of origin. 
Um, and so, you know, we take an assessment, we look at it, what we find is there's kind of two extremes when it comes to couples, and maybe you'll recognize yourself in here. Uh, one, one part of the, the couple maybe comes from a family that's enmeshed. Enmeshment means everything we do, we do together. Like we, you know, I don't know where my family ends and I begin. Like, you know, we're, you know, I do everything. I love my family. They're the best. They're awesome. Then there's the other uh, extreme, which is the disconnected family, okay? Uh, you know, no news is good news. Like, you know, they're there, but they're not really super close. In fact, what happens is, is that opposites attract and then they attack. So let me give you an example. Like, this is actually a picture of me and Jackie. Like, when Jackie, uh, you know, she is very close to her family. And so, like, she talks to them every day. Like, she talks to her mom, her dad, her brother, her sister. And I'm like, what do y'all talk about? Like, you talk a lot. Like, what do y'all talk about? Like, I don't get it. But in my family, you know, no news is good news, right? So if I ever get a phone call from someone from my family, it goes like this. What's wrong? Who died? Because, like, that's just how it is. And then now 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 we're together, we're married. It's this perfect, like, storm of, oh, my gosh, like, conflict and things like that. So one of the things that we've had to do in terms of leaving and cleaving is make some boundaries about, hey, here's what, here's what we're going to do as our family, our family of four. So one of the things that we decided early on, you know, because Christmas Eve I usually work, is, hey, Christmas Day, Christmas morning, that's going to be for the four of us. We are going to stay together, we're going to open presents, we're going to have breakfast together, and then we'll decide which set of in-laws we go see and go and do that kind of stuff. And that's kind of been something that we've been very deliberate about. We have to leave and we have to cleave. And oftentimes, when I talk to couples and there's some issues, sometimes what the issue is, one hasn't really fully left. Which can be a challenge, right? If you, come, if you both come from close families, it can be really challenging. But there's got to be a place, <coughs> excuse me, a place where we decide, I'm going to end this one so that we can start a new one. And so that means setting some good boundaries. It also means maybe having some hard conversations with people in your life. So that's leave and cleave. The third... Go to the next slide. The third one is to weave. Weave common mission. See, when God creates humanity, we are made in the image of God. The imago Dei is what it's called. And he tells us, here's our job as human beings to be fruitful and to multiply. And so Adam couldn't do this alone. He can't be fruitful and multiply alone. We can't be fruitful and multiply by ourselves. We need one another. And so I love what it says in verse 18. It says, the Lord God said... It was not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, oftentimes we read this word as helper, and we see it as, oh, it's someone that's, you know, they just kind of help me out, they come alongside me, that's it. But, but the word actually in Hebrew is interesting. It's the word, it's the word, let me read it. It's ezer neged. Ezer neged. In fact, we see this phrase used throughout the Old Testament when God, who is more powerful, comes and rescues Israel or rescues people. So it's this idea that God has brought to Adam co-collaborator, a powerful partner to be a part of God's mission to fill the earth so that it is fruitful and it multiplies. So it's this idea that we are co-heirs with Christ. But here's the challenge, right? When we come into marriage, we are self-centered. When we come into marriage, we make it all about us. But when we come to the marriage and say, hey, listen, God has an assignment for us as a couple to fulfill. God has a mission for us. There's something specific God has brought us together that we can only do better together then we can't apart. And part of that is we need to sit down and say, Lord, what is that? Because once God shows you what that is as a couple, then when you have your kids, and now your kids can share in this mission, and you become a family on mission that is woven together. And maybe part of that mission could be to support one another's goals. 
one another's goals as you're trying to, to uh, you know, do things like that. It could be to serve other married couples. It could be to serve students like uh, Joel and, um, and Jen Shabbata. They work with crew, and that's their assignment. Whatever it might be, God wants to reveal that to you and in your marriage. Because when you understand that God is using marriages as a way to kind of keep his mission moving forward, it changes how you approach marriage. It changes who you date and why you date. How you view marriage will shape how you handle relationships. And like I said, if you're single today, you can take each, almost each one of these principles and apply them. You, you can begin to start building spiritual friendships. You can begin to set boundaries with family if you don't have them already. You can begin to start saying, God, what's my mission as an individual? And maybe what you realize is I need to understand what my mission is and find someone who's got the same mission and make sure that we're weaving those things together. Otherwise, it could be conflicted. But what if you're already here and you're like, man, I don't know if our missions are aligned. Uh, Nathan, I don't think we did marriage right. I, I think we're, we're, we're kind of a mess right now. I mean, we were living together, and now we're married, and now we're struggling, and all these things are starting to happen to us. What do we do from here? And here's your next step. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. He knows. He knows what you're struggling with. He just says, give it to me, and I will weave it together. Give it to me, and I'll take the broken parts, and I'll weave it into a story that will change lives and change hearts. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Maybe you're here today, and maybe as you're kind of wrestling through some of these things, you're like, well, Nathan, we didn't do it right. Like, does that mean everything's falling apart? It goes, no. It means that God wants to redeem your story, because we serve a God that redeems. He transforms. And all you need to do is come and bring him your brokenness. Bring him your sin. Bring him your fear. Bring him your anxiety, and he can take that and transform it. We serve a God of redemption and transformation. Maybe you're here today, and and you know what it's like to feel lonely, and you're like, man, if only I had somebody. If only I was married. If only, if only, and if only. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. One person's not going to fulfill you. In fact, that's kind of one of the lies our culture tells us. We need one person. But you see, you need Jesus to come and fulfill your deepest needs and longings. But then you need community. People to come around you. To pray for you. To encourage you. To love you. To help you become who God's called you to be. And if that's you here today, I want, I want to pray for you. Would you let's, let's pray today. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come right now. Father, wherever we are on our journey... You want us to take a step closer to you. You want us to take a step to walk in our calling of being holy, of being blameless, knowing full well that we fall short again and again and again. Lord God, our marriages are imperfect because we have imperfect people that are in them. We were parented by sinners. We are sinners and we're parenting sinners. So Father, more than anything else, Lord, we ask that you would be in the midst of our marriages. If you want Jesus right now to be in the midst of your marriage, just go ahead and put your hands up right now. I just want to pray that the Spirit of God will just come upon you. Holy Spirit, would you see, you see these hands that are up, God? And would you be the center? Pray right now, Lord, for marriages that are on the brink. God, I pray, Lord, that you would meet those husbands and wives who are struggling right now, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that you would speak to them bring comfort, but also bring truth. 
Because God, you work all things for your good. But Lord, we want to be, we want to stand on your truth and in compassion. So Father, as we are prepared to uh, continue to worship and to celebrate baptisms, Lord, more than anything else, Jesus, would you be the one to remind us that you are the foundation of our marriages. You are the foundation of our lives. We look to you for grace. We look to you for mercy in your son's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.